Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen? And so are you! <laughs> My Screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets bent. Guess what? I'm sick again. God damn it. But am I going to let a little microbial infestation stop my devastation? Hail to the uh-uh. Because this is episode 26. And tonight, we're going to be taking a look at a terrifying twosome from across the pond when I take a look at two British thrillers in the first we learned that hospitality can get your ass all fucked up in the possession of David O'Reilly. And then we're off to an exclusive ritzy titsy prep school where these brats are going to find out that bullying has some very deadly consequences. And lo and behold, it must be the apocalypse because I'm finally reviewing the first book of Robert R. Best's zombie trilogy, Lakewood Memorial. I know, I can't believe it either. But wait, there's more? Yes, there's more because episode 26 is our first mega super gigantisode. What does that mean, Patrick? Well, it means we're going to find out what's stuck in James Cameron's sanctum. Ew. Well, my gosh, we got so much going on. We've got no time to waste. So let's get right down to the fun right after this important message. It's coming. It's that time again when the freaks start to crawl out of the woodwork. They come together in one place. For one purpose. So beware. Unless, of course, you're one of them. Find out more information by going to horrorhound.com or horrorhoundweekend.com if you dare. Oh my god, children. If you are not already planning on going to Horrorhound Weekend Indianapolis, you better get your ass over there now because Bradford and I just booked our plane tickets and our hotel rooms and we got our passes for the weekend. So it's going to be a Scream Queens party going on all up in there. And besides, if you like horror podcasting, this is where everybody shows up. The Drunken Zombie Folk will be there. Night of the Living Podcast. Uh, Bloody Good Horror. The Cadaver Lab guys are probably going to be there. Aside from that, uh, Disney Indiana. The Big Red Podcast. The Podcast Podcast. It's Podcasting Mania is what I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah, there's some celebrities there, too, and I think they show some horror movies. But please, you want to meet us, you come on down because I want to meet you. And you can spin that in a gross way if you like, but I just want to see who's... No, just make it gross. Just make it gross. Fine. I, 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 yeah, I want to molest all of you is what I'm trying to say. Shut up. Grow up, for God's sakes. God. So, yeah. So, we're sick again. Bradford got me sick. See, I am so sick of this winter. We have been sick so many. I was not sick at all for the past three winters. I didn't get a sniffle, nothing. This year, I'm totally making up for it. Ever since my concert in December, for those of you who have been listening, 
Bradford and I have been swapping something back and forth. Shut up. And I'm just tired of it. And you know what? I blame Metal Mikey. Yeah, Mikey, this is your fault. Because we were both better until you called in last episode. And you're like, oh, I hope Brad's feeling better. And if he's not feeling better, I hope he feels better. Well, you know what? Immediately after he heard that, he got sick again. I don't know what kind of metal pox you put on him, but you fucked us all up. Because he was down. He was laying in bed for four days like, oh, oh, oh. Which means Nurse Jane Fuzzy Wuzzy had to come out again. And that girl has been working overtime so you know what it was like one of those tragic movies you see on the lifetime channel you know with this like heroic nurse she's like tending to the people in the influenza hospital or to the lepers or whatever until finally she succumbs to the croup herself <sighs> well that's me because now brad's fine i'm sick thanks a lot mikey i am so gonna kick your ass in indianapolis again so you better watch your ass because tom atkins mustache and i are coming after you. So now, if you've been listening to me for a while, you know I tend to record the segments out of order. I record things after I see things and uh, then put them all together at the end of the week or what have you. So you'll probably have a fun time watching the progression of disease between Bradford and I because even though Bradford's not on the show, you can hear him in the back because he tends to sleep here in the middle of SQHQ. How rude. So he'll be in the back, you know, moaning and groaning and farting. A lot. So if you listen carefully, you'll probably hear, whoa, whoa. Now I had to go and spend a lot of time editing a lot of that out. But you know what? It's really funny. So some of them I left in. Keep your ear open and shut your nose. Well, I don't know if you heard, if you've been following me on Facebook or Twitter, you should know that this week, this past week, this past Friday, the latest episode of Kitchen Nightmares to air here in, on, on Fox in the USA featured Mr. Brad and I. And it caused a sensation. I didn't even know it was airing. All of a sudden, the next day, I'm getting text after text after text after text after phone call after email. Oh, my God, we saw you on TV. Oh, my God, we saw you on TV. Oh, my God, you saw you on TV. I totally gave it up on this episode. We taped this two years ago. It aired in the UK last season, and I just can't watch any more Gordon Ramsay. I'm so sick of it. So I just completely given up on it. And it became a running joke between me and the folks over at I'm Not Here to Make Friends because I called them from the laboratory while we were there on set and everything. And I'm just assuming that it's taken so long, everybody thinks I'm making it up. So I wrote a song about it, which we're going to enforce on you now because I can. Ha ha ha! Stuck at PJ's Steakhouse won't Pay the bill. What made you think we'd eat this well? Chef Ramsey, can't you see we're in misery? Thought we'd eat some steak and get our break. In reality TV We were just two gays Out for our birthdays But little did we know Just how bad our meal would blow It was nasty Old Gordon Ramsay Someday now that hell's kitchen is done Maybe you'll air the kitchen nightmare That Mr. Brad and I were 
long It's been six long months Since you made dances Out with Mr. Brad and me And then charge just exorbitantly Chef Ramsey Alright, Gordon You invite us to your restaurant and you allegedly fix up, right? So we think we're getting a great meal. Turns out, no, either you didn't fix it up or you failed. Because you know what? PJ Steakhouse is out of business. But I'm still paying off that $140 bill, motherfucker. Thanks on its soup that looked like poop. Steak so bad, it made bread cry. No, why you do this to me? Chef Ramsey. I'd forgotten all about it, but poof, there we are. Now, we had been talking about doing a crossover episode, uh, Scream Queens and the I'm Not Here to Make Friends podcast, the reality show podcast, to talk about what really went on. Because, you know, we're on on camera for two seconds, and Mr. Brown gets to say his bitching about his steak, and I'm just looking pissed off about our crappy food. You have no idea what went on, because they made that bitch look like a saint. And there was all the stuff that never made it on camera. There's a whole cast of children that you never saw, and that was a whole other side of the restaurant. But we're finally going to do that episode. We're going to be recording it next Thursday. And when it comes out, you will be the first to know. Well, aside from me and the people that I'm not here to make friends with Mr. Brad. But you know what I meant. It's going to be awesome. And speaking of crossover episodes, if you haven't checked it out already, go over and check out 42nd Street Drive-In's second episode, which is the John Warner's episode, which features me talking about female trouble. And it's a lot of fun. And it'll be I learned a lot, actually. I had a, have a whole new insight for the movie. And plus, you get to hear me say things like, I wouldn't suck your sorry dick if I was suffocating and you had oxygen in your balls. <laughs> and Sean say things like, The last thing my parents wanted was a son who wears a cocktail dress that glitters. And Chris say things like, They're just jealous. And if that doesn't tell you, go fuck yourself. And hey, I just wanted to give a special uh, bit of Scream Queen love to two of our listeners out there. Uh, first of all, Jeff, also known as Crazy Lawnmower Guy, He's been going through a rough time. He had a really rough holiday. His father passed away. So um, we send extra buckets of Scream Queen covered love to you, Jeff. Big, big hugs. And uh, doubly so because he's also designed this awesome logo for us. And it, I can't wait to show you guys. I have to talk to him about a couple of things. But I think it's great. And you're going to think it's great. And you're going you're gonna to buy t-shirts with it on it. Because everybody's going to be wearing them. They're all the rage in Paris already. So, you know, you are either in or you're out. And also, I got a voicemail message from someone who preferred for me not to play the voicemail on the air or mention their name. But I just wanted to say to my special friend, my special new friend out there, thank you for telling me what you did. It meant a lot that, that you felt that bond. And I am moved by your story. And I'm touched that you chose to share it with me. So you, my very special friend, are getting an extra special, extra squeezy hug from me right now. Squeeze. What else has been going on? Oh man, my I, you know I told you I had to slow down production for a while because my career has been kicking up, and you know I've had tons, tons, tons of auditions, and that's been great. I haven't been getting anything, but that's okay. That's part of the game, you know. They say here in New York, you have to go on about a hundred auditions to book a single job, so rejection comes with with the program. But I got to I got to audition for Thirty Rock though. They came here, they brought me in to read for a part. Uh, which I did not get, but that's okay. Being brought in for that show is a big deal. And I got to meet Baron Massey while I was there. Uh, if you don't know who she is, forget I said that. The rest of you, oh my God, could you die? 
I know! So I thought that was really awesome. You know what else is awesome? Me finally winning a goddamn podcast award. So if you haven't already, please head on over to deadlancer.com slash vote to vote for Scream Queens for the best horror podcast. Because really, where else are you going to get entertainment of this quality, huh? Plus an insight into my, into my dark personal life as well. <laughs> Nowhere. So go over and vote if you haven't already. If you already voted, please don't vote again. Your vote will be disqualified. I have no idea how long voting continues. Because there's no indication on their website whatsoever. Thanks, Matt. And I know the show is going to air on February 28th. And I've already recorded um, a segment for them because I'm presenting the award for Best Scream Queen. Which I think is ridiculous because obviously it's me. Duh. Oh, and hey, I want to remember to give a plug out to um, a website called Katie Can Draw. I got tipped off from this uh, to this by the Junkin' Zombie guys, which actually made themselves useful for change. Go figure. And Katie is an illustrator who was putting, she's put out this $2 ebook for download. And for $2, it's completely worth it. If you love cats, you'll piss yourself at this book. It's a, it's one panel cartoon comics looking inside the brain of her cat, which is essentially all cats. I laughed my head off. I can't recommend it enough. So head, head on over to katiecandraw.com. That's K-A-T-I-E candraw.com. And speaking of cats, man, now you know both of us. Brad and I have been sick. There was one night earlier on this week. I had to get up the next day for this audition. I had a hell day. I had uh, two auditions, and I was starting a new class that evening, and I was starting to get sick. So Brad was still sick. I'm starting to get sick. We both take NyQuil. Unfortunately, what then commences throughout the night, we were haunted by a serious case of HFB. Horrendous feline behavior. Oh my God, the cats were bonkers all night, running around, fighting each other. Midnight crazies for six hours. But the thing is, we're both on NyQuil, so the whole thing has this, like, hallucinogenic, didn't happen, didn't happen. I don't know what I dreamt or what I didn't. All I know is that I never really slept, but I wasn't really awake ever either, so everything is all fucked up. But the most fucked up thing that happened was that at some point, Mr. Brad shook me awake. I'm like, what, what, what is it, what is it? He just looks me in the face and goes, cornbread, and rolls over and goes back to sleep. And I'm laying there for 10 minutes like, did he just say cornbread? Cornbread. You woke me up to say, what the fuck are you dreaming, Bradford? But apparently I got him back an hour later because apparently I sat up screaming in an Italian accent like a Brooklyn Italian accent going, hey, Vinny, what are you doing? You got a gas all in trouble, Vinny. You got to stop. And the thing is, I kind of remember doing that, so I know that actually did happen. So I'm blaming the cats because, you know, they plant things in your brain. They, they, we are their puppets. Cat owners, you know that. And you know what? Speaking of cats, I'm sorry to bring the, to bring the crowd down, but uh, I want to talk about my, my, the coolest cat in the world, Tinker. My cat Tinker that I had for 17 years. Uh, he passed away this week. Uh, not this week, but four years ago. And it still hurts like it was yesterday. This, this cat was the coolest cat ever. Almost part dog. Like when I used to live out on Long Island, I was working in the city. I'd go and meet the railroad. He was an outdoor cat, so he would walk with me around the block to the train station. And he'd sit there and watch the train leave. And every day when I got home, he'd be sitting there to walk me back home. And people would be looking at me like, looking at me like is that a cat? I'm like, yeah, it's a cat. What the fuck do you think it is? It's the awesomest cat in the world. And the great thing about him, he was big. 
He wasn't fat, but he was a big, muscular butch cat. And he was a hunter. And so we, I was woken up a lot of times, you know, leaving, going out to get the morning paper and stepping barefoot into a dead rabbit. Okay, that's not particularly awesome. But he was big. So he was always bringing home big game. He'd bring home, like, a possum or a raccoon. And I was always afraid that one day I'm going to open up the door and one of the neighbor's kids is going to be curled up on the doormat. Like their head half off. Well, of course, that never happened. But Tinker died because of that whole uh, tampered, uh, tainted cat food incident. Um, I've, I had been feeding him one of the wrong brands, and that hurts like hell. It still hurts like hell. He didn't deserve that. He, When I was really sick, he was at my side the whole time. And I miss him a lot is what I'm trying to say. Tinker, I'm, I'm pouring out a drink on the ground for you. Anyway, let's stop talking about sad stuff. We got to get this show on the road because this show is so overflowing with content. It resembles Rosie O'Donnell squeezing into a tutu. Oh, yes, they did. So with no further ado, let's start the party. And let's start it off right with a little ditty from Jerry Springer, the opera. All right, stop groaning. This is going to be awesome. Thank you. 
So I've decided for this next review that no matter what, I'm going to deliver it with a lot of zest. Nothing but zest. Oh, but wait a minute. I'm poor. Oh, I'm not just poor. I'm po. I'm po-zest. Po-zest! Get it? <laughs> that was a really long way to go for a really shitty joke. The next movie we're going to talk about is a British thriller from the IFC collection called The Possession of David O'Reilly. Now, I hesitated for a moment because every time I say the title of this movie, my brain says The Possession of Joel Delaney, which, by the way, is a 1970s movie starring Shirley MacLaine, which I've never seen, but for some reason, that's what my brain always wants to say. Why don't I stop babbling and play the trailer? You know when you see something out the corner of your eye and you turn to look and there's nothing there? They're out there. They're waiting. Were those noises there before? I just didn't notice them. Were the shadows as thick as that? They're real. That God isn't. You can't see them coming if you're asleep. Do you believe in Alex? Do you believe that these things are real? as you may have been able to decipher from the trailer. The Possession of David O'Reilly, which is the other way I need to say this movie, because for some reason it's Irish in my head, but it's not. It's British, but I'm besides the point. Anyway, the movie starts with this lovely young couple. You know, they're asleep in bed and everything. Knock, knock, knock on the door in the middle of the night, and it's the, the guy's friend, David. And as you hear, he's just broken up with his girlfriend because she's been doing it with somebody else, and he found naked pictures of her when he was going through her purse. And now I have to pause for a moment and say he deserved it. He deserves to be upset because as I learned from my good friend Tallulah Bankhead, touching a woman's purse is like touching her vagina. And that's not a sex thing. That means it's sacred. It's private. Stay out of the goddamn purse. You think you might be in there digging for chlorets or something, but it's, it's, it's akin to a rape to them. So I hear. I'm not sure if the same occurs with mercers or not, but that's really not the point at all. Anyway, he's upset and he asks if he could spend the night because he can't go home. 
and they say yes, and this is what happens when you're nice to your friends when they break up. Okay, so the next time somebody calls you up and says, oh, I just broke up with my girlfriend or my boyfriend, you, just, you hang up the phone, you slam the door in their face, and you just say, ah, la, 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 I don't hear no knocking at the door. Because they quickly begin to realize there's something wrong with David. So the two guys stay up all night drinking and talking about women and talking about their old friendship and everything. And so the couple finally goes to bed. David does not. Turns out David doesn't sleep anymore because David sees things. As we learn fairly quickly, he's looking out the kitchen window in the midst of his uh, insomnia attack. And he sees this... Creepy fucking Hellraiser type looking thing. You know, half shadow, but you can just see it's really deformed and fucked up looking. You know, it ain't the dog. You know, it ain't Mrs. Hernandez from around the block. Well, it might be. I don't know. She might have a humpback, but I, I'm way off topic here. He winds up staying up all night. And, you know, the next morning, like, oh, you look awful. And la, 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 la. And he's all freaked out about everything. And just he keeps hearing weird stuff and seeing weird stuff and, and just acting really jumpy and creepy. And he has to stay another night. And they say, sure. And here's the other thing. If a friend ever asks you to spend another night at their house after they've already spent one, you say no. You throw them right out. You take a blowtorch to them if you have to. Hospitality will get your ass all fucked up, as it does here, because it's on the second night that shit throws down. The couple wakes up because David is standing in the middle of their bedroom, a la paranormal activity, but I, he, he's, he's freaking out. He's screaming at something and not responding to them, and the girl's like, oh my god, he's sleepwalking. No, my brother used to do that when he was a child. He was just like this. Oh, but what's he looking at? He's looking at something so intensely like... Again, they're Irish, but fuck you. Yeah, they wake him up and he's freaking out like, Oh my God, you can't sleep. They're going to get you when you sleep. They're everywhere and they're... You know, this whole thing starts to evolve that he's been seeing monsters for a couple of weeks now and they're everywhere. Every time he turns his back, they're there. And he thought maybe if he left his apartment, he could escape them. That maybe it was the house, but no, they followed him. Because they're right outside and they're trying to get in. And what was amazing about this? What was amazing about this? The guy, his guy friend of the two, believes him immediately. He's like, oh my God, you're right. And the girl's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and the whole rest of the film is trying to figure out, is David having a schizophrenic break? Or is he actually being haunted by something? And this is when the movie started to remind me of somebody. Um, God, what the hell is her name? Um, no, um, fuck. I can't think of her name. Her last name is Nomer. Um, well, we'll just call her Miss Nomer. Because this movie is a misnomer. <laughs> that was another really long way to go for a joke with absolutely no payoff whatsoever. The Possession of David O'Reilly is the absolute worst inappropriate title for this movie because nobody's possessed. When this movie was released in the UK, it was called The Torment, which is a much more accurate and more fitting title for this film. I don't know why they changed it when they brought it over here, because nobody's possessed. There's no hint of possession, because I went in with expectations, which hurt the movie. I went in expecting the usual, you know, head spitting, pea soup spewing, cross humping stuff you always get with possession stories, and I keep waiting for it to start, and it's not coming, and it's not coming, and it's not coming, and I started to realize, okay, I've been lied to, IFC, but I got over it. And if you can get over it too, you almost get a good movie here. I can't tell you what's wrong with it. Exactly. The acting is really, really, really good. The story keeps you guessing. Is he crazy? Is he not? The effects are good. The music's great. But at the end, it doesn't add up to the sum of its parts and just leaves you like... Because uh, it's a quiet... Not a quiet little film, but just... It, it's building up Blair Witch style. Okay, it's not a found footage sort of a thing. But at times, it uses found footage style 
camera work, like the camera has taken, is all of, a, all of a sudden become a character's point of view. And I heard a lot of people had problems with that when I was reading reviews, but like, oh, it was so confusing. I didn't know who I was supposed to be. I had no problem. There's only three fucking characters in it. If you see the other two, you're that guy, but whatever. My problem with it is that it's dark and there's lots of stretches that have David in some dark corner or closet panting for what seems like hours at a time and really hard to see. The action was hard to see. There was one point where something very bad was happening to a neighbor and I couldn't tell if I was supposed to not be able to see it or if I they just didn't light it enough is what I'm saying. People found the end ambiguous and I'm not going to spoil it here. I don't see how you can find it ambiguous. It's pretty clear to me. You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say it's pretty ambiguous. Yeah. Well, what stands out here is the guy, who, the actor who plays David, Giles Anderson, because his portrayal of what a schizophrenic breakdown looks like is really convincing. Like, he's scary. He's more scary than whatever he thinks he sees outside or what may actually be outside. It's terrifying, and to be trapped in this apartment with him is, is frightening. This is the other problem that I have with the movie. They buy him, they buy into his story immediately and wholeheartedly, and at no point does anybody try to get out. Well, he's telling them that they can't leave. If they leave, they're going to die. But nobody calls the police or tries to call the police or says, David, we need to take you to a hospital or anything. And I found that hard to believe. And it was a stumbling point. I'm going, these are smart people. And they're not doing what smart people would do in the situation. Like, just, I, I mean, and it wasn't even like what they were doing was dumb. It was just unfathomable, if that makes any sense. But it's, that's somewhat rectified by the fact that the friendship between all three of them is really solid. I buy them as a trio. A love, not a love triangle, but just a trio of friends. I, strong, and you could sense the care, and it felt like they had been together for a long time, and that helped. But at the end, I just wish they gave us something else, or more, or something. It's just off. And for some, it might be infuriatingly off. For me, it was just like, uh, okay, let's... <laughs> Not to be gross, but I can't think of another analogy, but Mr. Brad's in the room, so I'm thinking about farting. It's like sometimes when you have to fart, and you think it's going to be a huge one, and you're holding in, and you're holding in, and it's building up, and you're like, oh my god, I can't let this go on the mountain. The, I'm in the middle of church. I can't let this go. I'm, I'm on a date. can't let this go. And you're like, oh my god, I can't hold it anymore. Oh my god, I can't let it go. Oh my god. And it just goes, Pfft. Yeah, that's what this did. The movie went, Pfft. When you were expecting, you know, big diarrhea blowout i guess well i'm glad i didn't have a diarrhea blowout this is a terrible analogy okay a better analogy would be those two jokes that i made at the beginning of this review you know the ones that were a long way to go and then the payoff was like uh okay you know it was a perfectly valid answer to the setup but it just sat there oh yeah that's tying it all together baby a plus on the thesis for me but it's not a bad movie it's just unsatisfying I suppose, and I have no desire to watch it again to see if it's better on the second time around. So it's um, it's not a recommend, but it's not not a recommend either. It's it's it ain't nothing but a thing. Woo!
Hold on to your pampers, bitch asses. It's time for the crap shoot. <laughs> Paul. 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 All right now, babies, you better hold on to yourself because this is the crapshoot. As you long-time listeners know, this is the portion of the program where I dive headlong into the vast sea of direct-to-DVD horror movie releases in search of that diamond in the shit pile. Can you dig it? And tonight's selection is a little British slasher from the UK called Tormented. Can you dig it? The spooky tale of the ghost of a tormented teen coming back to get revenge on those little suckers who drove him to suicide. Can you dig it? That's right, babies. He's come back from the grave to teach them a lesson in pain. Can you dig it? So you better sit back, relax, and wrap your mittens around your kittens because I'm playing the trailer now. Can you dig it, babies? I'm making an ass of myself, and I don't dig it. But do you dig it? This probably isn't how you imagined our first date. Oh, this is a date now. We're okay. We're not okay. <laughs> We're okay. How can that be an excuse for a party? It started out as a joke. <laughs> we were bored. He was a spaz. You do the math. Please. It just got way out of hand. I'm gonna kill you. What's going on? I'm gonna Some sicko's idea of a joke. I want to know why you've been texting us. <laughs> Pretending to be mullet, risen from the dead. In a bag. <laughs> You're dead! We're all dead! Oh, Okay, DJ Venus Flytrap, or whoever the fuck that was, has left the building, and it's just me now, okay? So let's talk about Tormented. As I said, uh, this is a British film, and it takes place in one of those really expensive prep schools with, you know, that special breed of rich, spoiled, and bored teenagers that just breeds bad news for everybody involved. The movie opens at a service, a, a school memorial service, for a student who has recently committed suicide. 
a young man with the unfortunate name of Darren Mullet. And at the service, we're introduced to the head girl, Justine. I love that term in British schools. Ah, hello, I'm the head girl. Now, I realize it's leading. I, you think I'm going to make an innuendo, but I'm not. I just think it's a great title. Hello, I'm the head girl. I'm the head of all girls everywhere. I run the school, and I give one mean blowjob. Anyway, she's up there eulogizing the poor kid, and a student stands up and says, It's all lies! You never knew him! None of you knew him! You all killed him, you bastards! And Justine realizes this is absolutely true. She does not know this kid. So basically, for the first you know, third of the film, she's getting pulled in two directions. She's all of a sudden being invited to hang out with the crowd that was bullying this kid that killed himself in the first place. And they're rich. They're the really rich kids and really popular. And all of a sudden, they're really interested in her. Does her warning bell go off? No, it doesn't. But but now she's also talking to uh, the, the dead kid's friends, the small kid's friends, you know, the nerdy kids, and being pulled in that direction, understanding their side of the story. And yet she's getting harassed by her own nerdy friends who are like, why aren't you coming over to watch Atonement with us? We're going to kick you out of the Kira Knightley fan club if you don't come over tonight. That's kind of sort of thing. And actually, I did get a kick out of all this. First of all, the rich kids. Now, I've seen a lot of mean kids in movies and in life. These kids were fucking mean. I mean, really unrelentingly cruel to make me step back and go, damn, you're not even fun movie evil. You kids are evil. And I realize everything else gets broken down in stereotypes. Oh, it's the rich kids and the nerds and whatever the hell her friends, Justine's friends are. But what I take it a kick out of was Justine's friends were all like Safi from AmFab. They all dressed like Safi and they're all that uptight like, oh no, we're not going to the party. We're going to spend the evening writing haikus. Isn't that exciting? I got a kick out of them, but I wish the movie just went farther with all this stuff. But I'll come back to that. So this one night, Justine just blows off all of her other friends and she goes to party with the rich kids. I'm just going to call them the rich kids just because I keep doing it. So anyway, while she's there, all of a sudden, all the bully kids get a text message from Darren's cell phone number. And it's just a little graphic, a little smiley face that just keeps going, <laughs> I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. They all think it's a joke, naturally. But then when they start turning up dead, obviously it wasn't a joke. Anyway, the ghost of this kid has come back to kick some ass. I really wish this movie were better. It had a lot going for it. I love the setting. I mean, there's something about rich prep schools and horror that just go really well for me. And you know me and bully movies. If you go back all the way to episode two, when I talked about the final, you know I got my history with bullies. And I got my predilectations against bullies. You know, I did my piece for the Trevor Project. So when the bullies start getting their comeuppance, for me, it was never enough. Like, I would have killed them worse. They didn't suffer enough for me, and I, that kind of disturbs me about myself, but I found it unsatisfying overall. The thing is, it borders on a lot of great stuff. I mean, the, the acting's good, the special effects are good, the script is kind of weak, and it nothing really comes together properly. There's a good dose of comedy in there, but again, not enough. It doesn't take the horror seriously enough, or the comedy, so it just kind of lays in the middle, and lip-flops. That much said, there are some good things about this, like I said. For instance, the jock bully character... Well, he has a nice shower scene that I enjoyed quite a bit. Uh, he spends a lot of time in a towel afterwards. And um, you don't see anything. But the camera rides really low, so you get to see that nice pelvic girdle area. Very nice and muscular. It was working for me. There are some creative kills, but not enough creative kills. The creative kills come really early on, and then they get more and more routine as they go along, which is really the opposite way, which should have gone. Uh, what I also liked was that... It got to a certain point where the bullies were all gone, but the deaths continue. He's not done. 
It's not just the bullies that he wants revenge on, and he's more pissed off than any of us thought. My big problem with the film, aside from it just being middle of the road, is that the makeup on the ghost kid was just, he was just green. Like, you didn't even try. You just put green face paint on, I mean, green green pancake makeup on him, and that was it. And I could see you had a budget. You spent plenty of money on the rest of these effects. That was it? That's all you came up with for that? Lazy. Lazy. There would have been a nice twist ending if they didn't tell you the twist at the beginning of the movie. I'm not telling you what it is, but literally, the first shot of the film, you're seeing something happen, so you already know how all this turns out. You're seeing someone being taken away by the police, so you know how this all turns out. So I don't know why they expected me to be shocked at this twist when it came, because you already told me it, damn it! I did, there was one visual in it that I really, not enjoyed, but was, I, I found striking. Uh, one of the bully girls, in a flashback sequence, you see that she tormented this poor kid in a pool. This kid was, he was fat and he had asthma and they called him Shrek. I guess that's why he came back green, I don't know. I forget exactly what happened. They were in the pool. She took his asthma medicine, she threw it because he was having an attack and she's like, oh, you know, she grabbed his medicine and threw it and was like, oh, can you breathe now, fatty? Can't breathe now. It's just nasty things. And so when she gets hers, it's in the pool. And he pushes her in the pool and just sits on her. And there's a really striking shot of her laying on the pool, the floor of the pool, struggling with this fat dead kid sitting on top of her, just all blasé and shit. Like, this is what I do every day. Okay, so Torment, I says you can see I'm having trouble talking about it, so I, I would say skip it. <sighs> and, you know, this is where I start to feel like I failed, you guys. You know, I just... I thought it would be clever to put two horror movies from the UK in the same show that both had the word Torment in the title because that was the original name of Possession of David O'Reilly. This is called Tormented. But they're both kind of... You know what? Fuck it. It's not my fault. It's the British. Sorry, Woody. <laughs> Talk to your people. Okay, The Descent was great, but that was like four years ago. Get your people on something good now, okay? Okay, and by the way, slap Andrew Lloyd Webber in the face from me. Well, even though this particular batch of evil British children turned out to be a disappointment, I think you're going to enjoy the following duo of evil British children much more. And they're brought to you by the talented ladies of the comedy troupe called Meat. Check them out at meat.net.
as to Melanie's funeral. We don't like churches. <laughs> <laughs> then something strange happened. Very strange indeed. As we were driving towards the church. Looking at the church. Staring at the church. Looking at the church. Staring at the church. Looking at the church. Staring at the church. The church burst into Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the time has finally come. The time has finally arrived for me to get off my lazy ass and review Lakewood Memorial and Ashton Memorial by the now infamous Robert R. Best. Yes, this is the first two parts of his zombie trilogy, the third part having not yet been written. And before I get started, let me just say this. I'm over zombies. Uh, okay, I, I, I realize that causing a ripple of shock to the, many of my listeners, I just don't give a crap about zombies anymore. It's just it's been too much for too long, of far too low quality. I don't care about them anymore. They haven't scared me in a long time. And even worse, they haven't interested me in a really long time either. I'm just done with them. It's overkill, overkill, overkill. So the idea of sitting down and reading not one but two zombie novels was not really appealing to me. Plus, you probably noticed by now, I've never reviewed a zombie movie on this show to date. Think about it. No, I haven't. Like I said, I'm done with them, and there are people out there who do that genre much better than I do. I'm looking at you, Brother D and Miss Brand over at Mail Order Zombie. They cover everything. So pretty much if I'm gonna, if I wanted to cover a zombie movie, they've already covered it, and they've probably done a much more in-depth and affectionate review than I ever will. And I just don't want to anyway. I mean, I remember when I used to watch zombie movies, not just as a kid, but even as a teenager in high school, there was a certain feeling that I got with zombie movies that wasn't exactly fear, but you know, dread and revulsion. I don't know, something about the older films, there was, there was a dirtiness to them, eh? there, was, there was a rot to them. It wasn't just about them being gross, but just, I don't know, I was always really aware of the decay and the odor and, and the savagery that always came with these movies, and... I don't know. As time went on, it just, I don't know if I got immune to it or it just was overkill or, I mean, it was overkill or I don't know. It just lost something. I still feel that when I watch the old movies. I don't feel it with the new one. Maybe it's too commercialized now. Maybe it's too sanitized now. Maybe it's like a brand. I don't know. What I do know is 
you have to work really hard to get me interested in a zombie story. It doesn't happen very often. So I'm sorry to say, Robert, I went into your books with a huge chip on my shoulder. And you, sir, bitch slapped that chip right off of it. Now, don't you go getting cocky on yourself, Mr. Robert Arbest, because you, sir, are going to have to pay for that chip. Yeah, you knocked it off my shoulder, and now it's gone. That chip has been in my family for generations. My grandma mom brought that chip over from the old country. It was the only thing that got our family through the potato famine. Because it was a potato chip. I'm so stupid. <laughs> okay, let's stop all this malarkey and talk about the goddamn books. Whew, well, okay, let's start at the very beginning, because rumor has it it's a very good place to start. And start off talking about Lakewood Memorial. Now, Lakewood Memorial is the name of the hospital where the majority of the action of the first book takes place. Now, our heroine, Miss Angie Land, which I'm sorry, Robert, I love you, but Angie Land, I'm sorry, she sounds like some rejected Disney park or something. Hi, it's Angie Land. <laughs> anyway, she's a nurse's aide at this hospital the night all the shit hits the fan. And one of the things I love about this book, it wastes no time. Getting right down into it. Because right off the bat, within the first few pages, the reagent, whatever you would like to call it, is reintroduced uh, into this community. And shit goes to hell almost immediately. Now, we don't know if this is a viral thing or a, or, or a space thing or a god thing or an end of the world thing. We don't fucking know. And really, it doesn't matter. But all we knew, it's, sp it's spreading like fucking wildfire through this town. It takes a matter of hours before it's everywhere. And guess what? It's not just bringing back the recently dead. It's bringing back everybody. So, you want to talk about Overrun? This place is Overrun. Anyway, Angie Land is working at, I'm sorry, let's just, nur <laughs> Angie is working at her shift at the hospital. Her kids are at home with the babysitter, her two, her almost teenage daughter, May Lee, and her son, Dalton. And we got maybe about a chapter of, of, of you know, mother-daughter problems and, you know, uh, you know, tension about, you know, goings on in the hospital. You know, before, you know, zombie mania overruns the place in a heartbeat. Now, one of the things that's amazing about this book is how cinematic it is. It reads like it's a fucking movie. It's very visual. It's very fast-paced. But just reading it, you can see this is going to make a great movie, hopefully. Another thing that's impressive is that there's two locations for the action. There's um, the hospital, of course, but there's also the home where the kids are, where Angie's kids are. And we're back, uh, we're bouncing back and forth between the two locations Constantly, yet at no point does it get confusing because this could have devolved into a whole hamana hamana shit fest. Because, yeah, Angie's trying to get home to her kids, the kids are trying to get to her, but there's all this other shit going on around that. You know, this chaos, the whole world's going to hell around that, and everything could have got turned into like one big literary fallen souffle had not everything been very, 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 very clear in action. Which is good because this action is not. Literally non-stop. It almost it, I hate to say it leaves you breathless, but it kind of does. It was really hard to put the book down because I was reading it on the subway because that's the only quiet space I get, oddly enough. And so I not once but twice I completely missed my stop and wound up at the end of the line because I was so wrapped up I didn't notice. And then when I did notice the stops were coming on other times, I got pissed off. I'm like, no, I don't want to stop reading. Go around again. And what I loved about it was that despite all of this barrage of action. It was remarkably easy to follow. And it was very, very detailed. It wasn't just constantly thrown in your face. And one of the things that makes, um, one of the many things that makes it easy to follow is Rob's attention to detail. Now, in a lot of books, it's easy to get bogged down with detail. You get so descriptive that the story just stops. I'm looking at you, Anne Rice, and I'm looking at you, J.R.R. Tolkien, even though you're dead. I'm looking at you anyway. 
Spending 17 goddamn pages describing every shade of green in a fucking field. Eat shit. Kiss my ass. But here, the detail is not only where the humanity is and where the heart of the book is, it's what makes the horror. Because you know me, I'm a jaded old queen. I don't scare easily, but this disturbed me in parts. Genuinely. In a good way. And it was because of the details made it so specific that I could see all of it and feel all of it and smell all of it. And, boo. Good yucky, good yucky. Well, to start off with his description of the zombies, they're not just a mass of zombies all the time. He's very good at describing, you know, individual zombies in a way that's not, uh, well, you get a clear picture of them without them being gimmicky. It's not like, oh, here's a band leader, and oh, look, here's a priest. Oh, look, here's, I don't know, a stripper or whatever. You don't exactly get personalities from them, but you get a really clear picture of, of who is attacking you and, and things like that. Unique without being gimmicky. That's what I'm trying to say. And also, just not even in the zombies themselves, but little ghoulish little details in the way their, their flesh is rotting and the boils that they're getting and their various wounds. The creaking of the jaws of the dead as their withered, desiccated muscles stretch open to bite you. The whispering sound of their crumbling flesh turning into powder as they do so. Ew! Yucky good, yucky. And since we're talking about good yucky, let's talk about the zombie action. And you know what I mean. I'm talking about the violence. This also impressed me. Not just that it was violent and that it was gory. What impressed me was that Rob doesn't feel the need to top every scene. You know, it wasn't constantly, and now this is happening and it's even bigger, and now this is even grosser, and this is even that. Everything was its own unique little horror. Every time somebody got eaten... Every time a zombie got put down, it was its own individualized horror show. So specifically described that they all seem to be burned into my memory very clearly whether I like it or not. And you know what? I kind of like it. And just like the zombies, the living characters are very clearly defined as well. They all have very wonderful, clear personalities, and they have their own voices. Because I hate that. I hate when I'm reading something and all the characters speak in the exact same way, in the exact same rhythm, with the exact same expressions. Bleh, everybody here is their own person. They're all free to be you and me. I don't know what I'm saying. A lot of times when you get something that is action-oriented as this, they'll sacrifice character in lieu of thrills and excitement and, and, and what? an action. But that doesn't happen here. You're getting both in equal doses, and I think that's neat. Robert has this knack of describing somebody very quickly that another writer might take paragraphs or pages or pages to get to the point, the core of this person. But in many cases, he's able to nail it in a phrase. I'm thinking, uh, for instance, there's a character, a uh, secondary character named Mo. Uh, Mo is described as constantly saying nice things. Stupidly nice things. There he goes. Mo says stupidly nice things. I get him completely in three words. Way to go, Robert. And even though the center's on a, um, a main core of characters, mainly Angie and her family and a couple of other stragglers that get picked up along the way, he also gives you a glimpse inside the heads of some characters that you wouldn't expect to get into, particularly the pain-in-the-ass characters. There's a male character in this who's such a huge pain in the ass that he's on the verge of becoming a cliche because everything out of his mouth is just nah, 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 nasty, nasty, nasty. I don't want to do that. We're not going to do that. We're not. You're so stupid. That's not going to work. Then just shut the fuck up. And just when I'm at the point where I've about had it with him, we get a look inside his head and I understand him now. We find out something about him that you understand why he's like this and how much pain he's in and how much suffering he's in uh, before the whole zombie outbreak. And now I say, ah, now I get you. And by giving me that little glimpse inside of his heart, all of a sudden, even though he's an asshole, I kind of feel bad for this guy and I, I'm rooting for him. Just a little bit. 
Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Dialogue is really hard to write, and Robert does a really good job of it. Everything sounded right. The kids are funny. You know, the two kids, kids much like, in books, much like in movies, can be huge, can be the downfall. You know, just if the author makes them too cutesy, or, I don't know, too wise-assy, or just too... Anyway, I don't know, the just kids can be really annoying in books. You know, the teenage daughter could have been on the phone, on her phone all the time, and it's been like all over everything, and just like worried about her shoes, or boring crap like that, but they all felt real. And plus, I gotta say, this preteen daughter, Maylee, she kicks ass, literally and figuratively. The character is fun, and she learns how to use a baseball bat like nobody's business. Robert, please tell me you picked her name for a reason. Maylee? Melee, perhaps? I see through your symbolism. Ha! And the kids are funny. Because the brother and sister bicker like brother and sisters do. I'm thinking at one point, they're in a car. Yeah, the, the, the preteen daughter is trying to steal a car. And they get in a huge fight over wearing seatbelts. This huge bickering fight while the zombie's closing in on the outside. And part of me is going, that's so stupid. Get the fuck out of there. And my other, and the other part of the is saying, that would have so been me and my sisters. Or actually more like me and Mr. Brad. We would have found some stupid thing to argue about and wind up getting eaten. Robert also has this knack of coming up with contractions. <laughs> that made me, Insulting contractions that made me laugh. <laughs> you know, he doesn't just call people butt munches or ass face. He seems to almost have put words into a random generator and just stuck a hyphen in them. Because they're funny, but they're things I never heard of before, like dick neck or clit nose or... It was enough to give me pause and say, I have to write that one down. Not necessarily take me out of the book, but say, I have to use that in everyday life. So this is a lightning fast read, too. It's 150 pages, and it moves like a goddamn comet. And even though I knew going in it was part of a larger work, it comes to a satisfying ending. If I had not, if I was not going to read any of the books in the series, I would have been, or had I not known there were any books in the, more books in the series, I would have been perfectly happy with the ending. It's not a button on the whole situation, but it's enough of a button on this particular chapter that I said, ah, that was satisfying. Because I hate that. I hate that when I buy a book and I don't know it's part of a trilogy or something, and you get to the end of the first book and it just kind of stops in the middle of everything and expects you to go out and buy another goddamn book so you find out what happened. I'm looking at you, Brian Keene. Fuck you. Fuck the rising. So considering this is a book that I never wanted to read, Robert, I loved it. This is a huge recommend for me. Well done, sir. Bravo, bravo. And there's still another book to go. But we're going to save that for another time because we got movies to talk about too, Robert. It's not just all about you. Even though you're Robert our best. You're better than all the rest. I'll stop doing that. Lakewood Memorial. Pick it up at Amazon.com. Back to back. <laughs> belly to belly. Yes, my friend. Back to back. <laughs> belly to belly. It was a zombie jamboree Took place in the New York Cemetery It was a zombie jamboree Took place in the New York Cemetery Zombies from all parts of the island Some of them were great Calypsonians Since the season was carnival They got together in Bacchanal And they were singing Back to back Belly to belly Well, I don't give a damn Back to back, baby, belly to belly, it's a 
Okay, even though it's not a horror movie, I feel I would be remiss not to talk about the new James Cameron-produced adventure epic, Sanctum. Rich from the Darkside Meetup Group uh, hooked us up with some free tickets a couple of days before its opening day. And even though I didn't get a chance to scoop it like I did with Megapython vs. Gatoroid, I'm still going to talk about it. But before we do, you know what we're going to do. We're going to get naked and listen to the trailer. Or maybe just listen to the trailer. It's up to you. Whatever. Whatever. It's all good. These rocks, these caves. Where else can you shine a light where no human's been? There's nowhere else left on the planet to explore. It is the last unexplored territory in the world. Espiritu is Sala, the mother of all caves. Trust me, you're gonna love this. What could possibly go wrong diving in caves? Some come for fame and fortune. You're not going to set any records without me. Others to chase history. Your old man is the most respected explorer in the world. Because he's got nothing else. He's a good kid, Frank. You need to go easy on him. Exactly what I don't need to do. This cable will kill you in a heartbeat. But one mistake in Earth's inner sanctum. My God, would you look at that? And no one will ever know. You are even here. Listen. What the hell was that? Pull the team out now! The storm is turned into a cyclone! Dad, the cave is flooded! You think? You'll find another way out! We're heading back down! I can't do this! I'm not a diver! You can do this because you have to do this! I don't want to die down here. I gotta get out of here, all right? We 
Follow the river all the way to the ocean. This way. You sure? Nope. Well, I'll see you on the other side. Could have picked a better choice of words. Give me a hand. We will find a way out. We're running out of time. Sanctum? I hardly know him. <laughs> well, as you can gather from the trailer, Sanctum is the story of a bunch of cave divers um, who are exploring this vast underground cave in Papua New Guinea, which for some reason I just need to call Papa Umaumau New Guinea, but that's just me. And they're very deep underground and everything, and there's a storm coming in, but for some reason the people that are above ground just never bother to tell the people underground there's a storm coming, but whatever. Fine. And... The whole area starts flooding, the cave starts flooding, there's a cave in, it's all bad news. Basically, the way out is blocked, so the only way out is down. Which I guess you could have learned from reading the tagline for the, on the poster, but... And what ensues is supposed to be an exciting, perilous journey for them to reach safety. Unfortunately, I hate to say it, it's pretty to look at, but it's boring as dirt. I really don't know how they managed to do this. The setting is gorgeous. But at no point does it feel claustrophobic or dangerous or anything. And the characters are completely wooden, cardboard cutout, embarrassingly bad, and the dialogue is hilariously awful. And the 3D? Eh. It's good, I suppose, but I didn't really feel it was enhancing anything. And I think this is really funny, considering the little temper tantrum that James Cameron threw after Piranha 3D came out, going, this is not the way that 3D is supposed to be used, meh, meh. Well, if this is the way 3D is supposed to be used as a, a sleep aid, bravo, well done, money well spent. Here's the problem. I had a huge issue with the kid that's playing the lead in this, this little blonde twink, who I'm sure a lot of you queens are gushing over. But for me, I don't know, there was something about his voice that was driving me insane because I have to say he had a voice like Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs, but with an Australian accent. So he kind of sounded like retarded. Oh, Dad, I don't know if I'm I couldn't understand a word he was saying. And the voice didn't match the look at all. It was, and he would make these scrunchy face faces when he talked. I'm like, are you, is that your acting face, sir? Please stop doing that. So you had this big scrunchy face and making all these like sounds like this and all that. And then all of a sudden, he would just crack into this completely fake Ken doll smile, like <laughs> diarrhea face, ding, ping, pearly whites. Is that supposed to be charming? Anyway, he's having this whole tired, tired conflict with his dad, who's the Uber diver and the big hero of the piece. And I gotta tell you, he's easy on the eyes. Nice daddy stock here. And a lot of times, you know, you meet him too when he's in his wetsuit, but he's got to peel down halfway so it kind of looks like a bustier with his titties hanging out. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Nothing like man nipples coming at you in 3D. But yeah, that's just me. But this whole thing is just so tired. Like, oh, what you do is stupid. Who wants to look at caves? Are exploring caves that look exactly like the last bit of caves that was last explored. Blah, blah, blah. I don't even know what he's complaining about. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Your dad's cool. My dad's an accountant. Your dad is a spelunker. That's awesome. 
but the conflict between them is tired. And then you have the other people that are down there. Most of them, you don't even get to bother them, but there's the, there's the American couple. The American couple that are really trying hard to do an American accent, bless their hearts. The problem with them is, just, okay, okay, the guy is supposed to be representing corporate America because he is, I don't know, financing this expedition or whatever, so he's the boss. And he's really cool, because I'm awesome, because I, I don't rappel down into the cave to see everybody. I come down by parachute, because I'm that cool, and I'm an American. We can't abandon the dive. Think of all the money that'll be lost. He's that guy. And the thing is, he looks like Paul Reiser in Aliens. So when his plot line turned the exact same way that Paul Reiser's did in Aliens, I was not surprised. My, could you, oh, he turns out to be that asshole. You've seen Aliens. He's that asshole. And the thing that was just really killing me, that all the people who died in this, almost every single person who died in this, died out of sheer stupidity. Now, I'm thinking of the Poseidon adventure, you know, the one from the 70s, which is, in my mind, the great perilous adventure movie, excuse me, of all times. Now, some people did stupid things and died in that, but most people were either doing something brave or something unexpected happened, like there'd be an explosion somewhere in the ship and people would fall off the ladders and die or whatever. This, everybody did something stupid. For instance, the American woman. Uh, a woman, uh, uh, a female diver dies in a freak accident before any, uh, before any of the storm stuff happens. So she's already, her body's already down there. And after the, the cave-in happens, they realize they're going to have to swim for it. And so Hunky Daddy's goes over to her corpse and starts taking off the wetsuit. And the American, non-American girl's like, hey, what you doing? We got to get this wetsuit off of her for you to wear or you're going to freeze to death in this water. And she's like, oh my God, I'm not wearing a wetsuit as off of a dead person. That's disgusting. But you're going to freeze to death in the water. I don't care. I'm not wearing a dead girl's wetsuit. So for the next hour, you have to listen to this woman bitch about how cold it is. I'm like, you know what? Had you taken the goddamn wetsuit, well, I guess there'd be nothing for you to talk about because that's your entire character right now is bitching about how cold you are, which would have been rectified if you would listen to Hunky Daddy Man, which you didn't. And then there's this other guy who there's some past event that's not really clear with this guy. Apparently he got the bends on a dive once and he's not allowed to dive anymore. So as they're going on this this final part of the expedition to get out, he keeps telling them, oh, you gotta be really careful, follow up your last bubble, you don't want to fizz up, which is, I guess, what they call the bends on this particular trip. Uh, but he says it constantly, reminds everyone constantly, 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 constantly that you know somebody's gonna get the bends and die. And it's him. But it's just that he just doesn't get the bends immediately and then dies. He starts to get it, and instead of getting help, people keep saying, are you all right? You know, do you need the respirator? He's like, no, no, I'm fine. Okay, and we don't want you to fizz up. No, no, I'm fine. And then he dies. Surprise, fuck you. It's supposed to be this big sad moment. I'm like, you're an idiot. So you have atrocious dialogue. You have annoying deaths caused by stupidity. You have this ugly, squishy-faced twink guy. And boring, 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 boring boring action for the most part and i was just praying for a set of albino bad people to show up and eat them all because for me that's like the ultimate spelunking film the descent i'm talking about of course there's not even a sense of claustrophobia in this film which is odd and here's the thing that's the real kicker for me now i mentioned the action's really boring for the most part but you know what there are some really amazing and disturbing moments in this some really great action sequences but the thing is, they're so overshadowed by all this other crap, I can't even really remember what they are exactly. I remember at the time going, that was actually pretty cool, but now I don't remember. What I remember is bad acting and bad badness. Not good. And to top it all off, it's 20 minutes too long. 
It's 20 minutes too long because we have to have the, the obligatory father-son coming together moment. Now we understand each other. And now we're the best of friends. Even though it's the mo- this action movie cliche bullshit. You see, we're treated to the poem Dad- Hot Daddy Man reciting the poem Kubla Khan by Samuel Coleridge. Uh, four times during the course of the film. We get it. It mentions underground caverns and the rivers of sticks and all that stuff. We get it. We got it. We got it. We got it the first time. But then this bonding moment, the son's like, Oh, Dad, what's that poem you always recite? Oh, it's your mother's favorite. Teach it to me so we can recite it together for the fourth time in the film. Oh, for the love of God, just one of you die, preferably not the hot daddy man. And here's how obvious this fucking film is. Right off the bat, when you're first time this kid's talking about his father, he's like, oh, you want to see what I'll go for my birthday? I know I'm doing Cockney right now, but I can't do Australian and retarded at the same time. Bear with me. That's the cat in the litter box behind me, because cats love podcasting. Let's move on. Yeah, I know what my dad got me for my birthday. It's a tooth from the ball that he killed with his bare hands in Borneo or some shit. On a string to wear on a necklace, as a necklace. And the American girl, the American non-American girl is like, oh, that's really nice. He's like, oh, but wait, you just couldn't leave it the way it was. See, look at this. Ping. And he f- switches on, like the tip of it's a light, a flashlight. He's like, hey, just had to turn it into a flashlight because that's what these spelunkers are always about. You can't leave well enough alone. And it was such a stupid thing that, you know, that goddamn necklace is going to be the thing that saves the day in the end. And surprise, it is. Because for this teeny tiny flashlight and this teeny tiny boar's tooth, it lights up the whole cave. It's pretty bad when a movie this scenic can't even, I can't even say the visuals are enough to go see it. Especially not in IMAX. We got to see it in IMAX for free and we wasn't even real IMAX. So fuck you AMC. I hate the fake IMAX people. Clearly I'm inserting this bit at a later time because all of a sudden I sound like Suzanne Plachette. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But I realized I didn't spend any time talking about what happened online in the movie or at the bar after the movie or anything like that. That's because it was kind of quiet. It was very organized because you see Rich had us all been at a bar beforehand. So we all had ding cocktails, which is always nice. And he had arranged for us to cut the line. You know, we were in, so we didn't have to wait on the damn line. So we had our cocktails and whoosh, went right to the theater, sat down and enjoyed the film. So for the most part, there was no drama. Except, I'm sitting with two people who I had not met before. And unfortunately, it's been over a week and I've forgotten their names. And I feel terrible. Uh, this lovely girl and this guy sitting next to me, we're both very nice, we're having a great time. And of course, it's crowded because it's a free screening and it's full of trash. So now this is IMAX theater. It's particularly tight seating for some reason. And I can see that this woman... Two seats to my left. She was this short, fat thing. She was one of these women that's about as wide as she is tall. Squat thing. She was holding a seat next to her. So, and I noticed she was holding a seat on the other side of her. So I'm like, okay, we're going to have to get up at least twice. Which we do to let her people in. And they're both, they're all really annoying. And after both, her guests finally sit down. And we get all comfortable again. She decides that she has to go to the snack park. And then, oh, excuse me, pardon me. And this, like I said, she was big. There was just no way to not you grind it up into her as she's passing by. I have nothing against the big people, but we're annoyed at her already because she's been loud and she was holding seats for people that weren't there and we hate that. Whatever. But that's not the bad, that's not the part. This is the part that's interesting. What happened when she came back is what makes this classic. She comes back in and she muscles past the guy and she's trying to squeeze past the girl and as she's squeezing past me, now this is taking a really long time. It's taking like 15 seconds for her to pass each one of us. So this is like really intimate time and as she's passing me, the girl next to me goes, <gasps> and I look over and her face is white. I'm like, what? And she starts pointing. She starts pointing. The short, fat woman had a good eight inches of toilet paper hanging out the back of her pants. 
And it was just blowing in the breeze, you know, swaying with her motion as she's grinding past me like the toilet paper's almost touching my business. And I was like, <laughs> there's nothing you can say. You can't be like, excuse me, babe. You've got toilet paper hanging out of your pants and you're flossing my dick with it. You just can't. And then when she sat down, I was really aware that the toilet paper was kind of flopped up over her leg. You know, it kind of came around the front. It was flopped up under the top of her thigh. So I was aware of it the whole movie. So every time I kind of drifted over that way, I was like, ah! <laughs> and for that fat woman with the toilet paper hanging out of the back of your pants, you are the scream queen of the week. Yay. Yay for you. No tiara for you. Because... You just nasty. You grinded your booty on my love stick. That's enough reward for you. Now get out of my face. And now back to the original review in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. But that's not the part right now. Skip it. You don't need to see this. I mean, maybe for a matinee to take your little cousins to or, or, or something, your little sister. But I no, because it's got bad language. Again, another movie that would have been a fine PG-13 had they dropped out the cunts and the F-bombs. I don't mean like the women characters. I mean the people saying, because you know what I meant. So James Cameron, Sanctum? No, you wrecked him. Hi, Patrick. This is Hogan. Hey, Hogan. I was just calling, and I just finished listening to your um, Frozen episode. Man, I'm so glad you liked that movie, because I liked it a lot, too, and I saw a lot of bad reviews. Yeah, I know. What was that about? I thought it was great. I I actually I, yeah. I smoked a little pot, watched the movie, and wow. I was in the seat with them. And I like you, It frightened Hogan. me. I was like, this is great. Um, but I think my favorite horror movie of 2010 was probably Wreck. Which is probably one of the best sequels I've ever seen in my yeah, life. Yeah, that was good. And I was kind of wondering what what your favorite movies the last year were. I know a lot of podcasts do that. You didn't, but like a top three, which is kind of hard to do because you, my movies change every day. My favorites. And I finally got to see Last Exorcism. Thought that was great. Um, a lot of people bitched about that one too, but I got really into it. I watched it by myself, day. pitch black basement. And when that creepy-ass girl was looking at the cameraman, I felt like she was looking at me. So, yeah, that gave me creeps. And the ending where I think in your review you said the movie takes a drastic change, I thought it was wonderful. Because, hell, why else would Satan and devils be hanging around? Yeah. Okay, well, I think that's all I have to say. I thought I had another movie I was going to bring up. I don't know if I told you I saw Brotherhood of Satan, which was badass, oh, no, except for that stupid little girl at the beginning. She was horrible, horrible, horrible <laughs> hey, actress. Hey. Somebody should have shook her. But, all right, well, you have a great New Year a month after the fact, and um, keep up the Thank great you. work. Bye. Thank you, sir. Now, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Before you go slamming the little girl 
in the Brotherhood of Satan. Let's be clear about which one it was. You better not be talking about the daughter character, because that daughter grew up to be the fake Jan on the Brady Bunch Variety Hour, and I don't care what you say, that makes her awesome. Yeah, I don't get the hating on Frozen. I thought it was great. If you don't like it, I don't know what you're looking for. Go fuck yourself. And The Last Exorcism, now that it's all over... You know, because I saw it before it was out and uh, uh, officially released, and um, I didn't want to give away the ending, and I didn't have a lot of time to think about the ending, and it was not the best screening that I was at. I couldn't hear the ending clearly, so I didn't want to say too much about it or give it too strong an opinion, but in retrospect, I liked it. I know a lot of people that bitch about it say that it came out of left field, but it didn't come out of left field. Early on, uh, when they're interviewing the other people in the town, they start they mention a cult that that may have been happening in town when they're talking about all the different urban legends, you know, the flying saucer man down the street and everything, whatever. So it was set up, and I said to myself during that sequence when I first saw it, uh, when the cult came up three times, I said, that's going to come up later. And then I forgot about it. So I think in my initial interview, I said, yeah, technically I might say I saw the twist coming, but you got me so involved with everything else, I forgot about that I saw it coming, so it was a surprise when it came up. So bravo, bravo, once again. Hold on, I have to get a tissue. As for my best movies of the year, I I hate lists. You know, when people ask me, you know, oh, what's your favorite movie or what's your favorite horror movie? I'm like, um, that's a really hard question because there's different genres and there's different times and... and different moods like in, when I'm in this kind of a mood this is the movie that works for me but I, I and plus I'm finding it really hard to think in general at the moment because you know my brain is filled with liquid that's not normally there but um, but if you're gonna put me on the spot and I don't mind being put on the spot the most fun I had at the movie theaters this year was at All About Evil which is available for purchase at www.peacheschrist.com. Uh, it just had that whole Rocky Horror spirit, and, and it was a wonderful group experience, and you know the addition of the William Castle show beforehand just made it a whole event. And so that would be my favorite thing that happened to me in the theater all year. Uh, there's all the great movies I liked. I liked uh, The Kids Are All Right. I love The King's Speech. Um, God, what else happened this year? I can't even think. You know what? Let me get back to you on that, Hogan. Uh, Rec 2 was great. I saw that uh, in the theaters. Fortunately, I went with the New York City Horror Movie Meetup group, and what was great, it was playing at one theater in New York City. And it was a tiny little theater. We had the whole place to ourselves. It was like a private screening, and it was good. To be perfectly honest, I'm going to have to go on record. I was not crazy about Wreck. I know, I know, I know. I saw um, the other one, Quarantine, first. And Quarantine, when I saw it in the theater on opening night in Times Square in Manhattan, was one of the most outrageous times I've had in a movie theater ever. Um, because it was the perfect crowd. You know, when we were online to go in, we were hearing shrieking coming from the, the audience that was ahead of us. And not just your regular, like, horror movie. We were fucking around shrieking, but it was like a constant sea of screams. So we were all like, oh, my God, what are we in for? And I got to tell you, for the last 20 minutes of the film, when I first saw it, when it was all over, I wasn't even exactly sure what went on. Because I got, I was screaming my head off. It was like, it was that perfect crowd infecting each other sort of thing. That that energy. That it made it like, a, I don't know, a haunted house ride with like a roller coaster. And just things were popping out. And it just, it didn't really matter what was going on. Because I was scared to death. Forget, forget scared to death. I was in panic mode. So like, things weren't necessarily processing. Except, ah, bad, ah, bad, ah, survive. And that doesn't happen very often. When it was over, we all went, even though that last shot was already put all over the trailers. And when I saw Wreck, it was clinically, it was a better movie, but nothing's going to top that experience that I have. And that's why I still go 
to see stuff in the theater, even though I know it's always going to be a problem with people talking. There's always that chance you're going to get this. Also, um, the with uh, in quarantine, the fact that it was a, a virus scared me more than it was an evil spirit. Just because uh, I live in New York, man. Yeah, I was right in the middle of the freaking bird flu. And I don't know how much it affected other places, but I would go to, like, rehearsals and stuff. I'm like, sorry, you can't come in today. This entire building is shut down. Bird flu. Sorry, this office is closed today. Bird flu. And everybody was walking around in masks and stuff. And, you know, that was Viruses were more of a real threat to me. And also, I was looking at it going, oh, my God. When they showed a rat at one point early on in the movie. And when it came out to me that it was rabies, I said, if there's a rat, there's a thousand rats. And if there's a thousand rats, it's already out. That was pretty cool. And also, the last scene, comparing the last two, the uh, uh, wreck and, and, and the last the discovery scenes up in the attic. In wreck, they spent so much time up there, like reading every article and making sure you got it, and that it was a supernatural thing. Whereas the other way, you got all the information, but in panic mode. You just got a little flash thing here, a little flash thing there, a little flash thing there. You got to put it together yourself. But the other one, they hammered it home so hard. I was like, yes, I get it. It's a demon. Moving along. Still a good movie, but nothing was going to compare to that shriek fest that I went through. I actually called the Night of Living podcast from the theater after my screening was over. I stood in front of another, you know, I stood in front of another auditorium where a screening was already in progress, and they were at that, like, sea of screams part coming from the audience. And I called them from him, like, this is the screening. This is what's going on. This is awesome. I haven't had anything like that since. <coughs> but that's the high I was chasing. Wreck 2 was fun. No, it was a really solid sequel. It's a shame it didn't get a wider release, and I don't know if this is the highly recommended because I've been talking for a really long time. I might really need to blow my nose. Thank you for calling in, Hogan. Love ya. Save a joint for me, will ya? Thanks. Hello, I mean, Patrick. It's Hogan again. Uh, Hogan I want to tell you my worst movie of the year. I saw that um, I'm Still Here. I know it's not a horror movie, but it's fucking horrible <sighs> with Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. I'm a huge Andy Kaufman fan. There was nothing funny about this. It was actually no. kind of just a sad, pitiful movie. Not not the feelings it gave me, which I would have had more respect for, but it was just, I was pissed off, and my wife was pissed off through the whole thing, just like, when is this going to be over? Never. I should just quit acting. But, you know, and my favorite movie of the year wasn't a horror movie either. It was um, Winter's Bone. What a great movie. Oh. You should really check it out. It's Kind of eerie in a way because it's got a lot of hillbillies, hillbillies. Um, but yeah, you should check that one out. Okay. Bye. <laughs> okay. My favorite thing about that call is that he just cracked himself up saying hillbillies. So someone's still high. Maybe I don't know. Well, both of these calls, I got notified of these calls back to back at like six o'clock in the morning. So I don't know, Hogan. I don't judge. I don't judge. I just wish I was there. Um, I'm still here. I'm allergic to Joaquin Phoenix. I just, I don't, I, I, I got nothing else to say. I just like, if he looks that gross, my mother has this saying. Okay, my mom, okay. Fireside chat. My mother has this saying. She's just like, oh, I can't, we should be watching something. She's like, oh, I can't bear to look at him. It's like I could smell him through the television. Joaquin Phoenix in that movie looked like I'd be able to smell him through the movie screen. And I don't want to smell Joaquin Phoenix. Okay, that's all I need to know about that.
And uh, Winter's Bone, I did not get a chance to see. Um, I had an opportunity to go to a free screening of it, but something else was going on. I think I probably had rehearsal, which is my excuse for missing everything. That's cool. Uh, my friend Owen, the alleged Owen, who's allegedly coming on this show, which I don't think is ever going to happen. Actually, I'm making Owen up. Owen is my George class, or my George Tropicana, depending on which version you're talking about. Um, if you don't know what I mean, die. Uh, but he loved it, too. He thought that the woman in that should have gotten the best actress uh, a SAG Award, if not the Oscar. I just can't say the title without giggling because I'm that mature. But I'll be keeping an eye out for it on the DVD. Thank you for the heads up, Hogan. Now why don't you go get yourself some nice Doritos and eat the whole damn bag, okay? Okay. Hi, Patrick. It's Joe and Cincy. Hey, Joe from Cincy. Wanted to call this week and uh, talk about uh, some of the stuff from uh, the shows and your reviews and stuff like that and what I've seen lately. Uh-huh. making any sense. But anyway, uh, first of all, um, you uh, when the uh, when the Peaches Christ movie uh, came out, God damn, I can't remember what it was called. All about evil. Um, all about evil. That's what I That's just what said. That's what it was. Um, Thank you for doing that because, you know, at the time it was uh, $5 off if you pre-ordered it. And, you know, the movie, I really enjoyed the movie. I'm glad you put awesome. that bar would have known about the movie coming out. Um, I'm surprised that more people haven't called in. I thought the movie was very enjoyable. Uh, I love the kind of the, I think it's taken a lot of from other horror movies and, you know, and kind of, you know, I think that's what Peter's Christ was inspired by, of course. Of course. And um, I saw some similarities to, <laughs> at least, you know, one thing was Carrie. Um, yeah, how the, you know, the lead character is ridiculed by um, her peers, but, you know, plans on kind of a way to get back at them. Yes. Um, and, you know, you know, how, you know, just basically, you know, you know, you know, kill Spit them. it out, Joe. Because <laughs> she's, you know, they pissed her off. Yes. And, you know, the movie didn't have an exploding pussy vagina. No, no. But it did yeah. have a leaking vagina. What? Just like Carrie did. What? Um, you know, and oh, it's not giving oh. away much, well. but you know, the girl, a lead actor when she was a girl, oh. was... Um, was on the stage. And that probably was the thing that set her off to for being an outcast and then ultimately ultimately, you know, kind of causing her to get back at her her tormentors. I enjoyed also the little kind of uh shorts, short movies that you know that she was doing. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. In front of these horror movies that she's presenting every week <laughs> at her uh, theater to, um, you know, help get interest in the theater so that she doesn't lose it. Yes. And I really enjoyed that. Yes, those uh, made me laugh really hard. Especially the a Tale of Two Severed Being a gay man, I am fascinated somehow with vaginas and also. What? <laughs> Not that I want to touch them. There's something fascinating about them. Quite understood. Another uh, movie that I saw that you recommended was the Mega Python versus Gatoroid. Gatoroid. I thought your review was spot on. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's not. Okay, first of all, it's a sci fi movie, and I have my problems with sci fi. Yeah, me too. Because, you know, they're not really showing 
sci-fi shit on there. No, a lot it's of the time, like with the World Wrestling something Federation. Yeah, uh, they have wrestling on sci-fi, and they also they were showing the movie Elf with Will Ferrell during Christmas time. And what? Um, you know, sci-fi is pissing me off to begin with because of uh, Caprica, and you know, just not really promoting you know some of their better shows the way no, they should. Warehouse Thirteen, hello. Really screwed Caprica over. That's off topic. The uh, movie was great. I loved, you know, the whole, you know, putting Tiffany against Debbie Gibson and, you know, because they were, you know, supposed to be kind of like in a way competing, even though that, you know, Debbie Gibson really had all the talent and, you know, Tiffany was just, you know, kind of like the singer, you know, performer. Don't get me but, started. Um, and Don't then kind of putting off Debbie. each other, you know, their bitchiness and, you know, granted, the, the graphics aren't, Special effects aren't great in this movie. They're not trying to be. It's kind of a it's a sci-fi movie, so they're not going to be great. But you know the the whole campiness, you know, you know, kind of, you know, just it was kind of like a satire of all like the bad sci-fi movies that are on there. Yeah. They know it's you know they know it's not going to be like an Oscar movie, but no, you know no. they just played with it and it was fun and it was campy. It was funny, you know. My one of my new favorite movies. Our quote lines from the movie now is, "Ew, someone had bitch for breakfast." <laughs> so you have to find, you know, everyone else has to watch the movie to find out you know, where, what that's in, of course. I did. Is um, another movie I saw um, over the holidays was Poltergeist, which when I was a kid I watched it over and over again on the HBO. Yes, it was on. Constantly. You know, it was it was a scary movie when I was a kid. It was not so scary when I'm older, but yeah, it's still pretty it was pretty scary. Uh, but it, you know, it was a great movie. Um, you know, you know, from the early '80s. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm glad I rewatched it, and you know, I figured out why I hate clowns so much because of that clown doll it just yeah, freaked me out. Not only when I was sucks. a kid, and you know, now clown. clowns freak me out. That clown's now, a dick. Uh, even till this day. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and. Another movie I saw that Netflix kind of, uh, you know, suggested Stuck that I see um, after watching some of these other horror-type movies on uh, Netflix was this, it was kind of a nasty movie called uh, Countess Dracula, and it wasn't very oh. scary. Um, I put that on my list. Not really much to special effects, but basically mm-hmm. you have this countess who kills, you know, young maidens uh. in order to, or they have to be virgins, I'm sorry. Yes. Um, yes. She okay. kills them, uh, drinks their blood in order to, you know, to keep her youth. And if she doesn't, she's like this old nasty hag. And yeah, it was a late '60s movies, I believe. The only star that was in it was Leslie Ann Warren, and I can't even really remember what she was in except really? for North and South. Um, oh my God, Victor Victoria! She was in Clue. Uh, not a great movie. Give me your uh, gay card. It would definitely probably be a crapshoot movie, but it was probably the crappiest of the crap. All right. I'll take it off my list. Not terribly scary um, movie, so I don't recommend it. And that's basically it. However, um, I did watch... Um, actually, I've only watched half of it at this point. But, Seven minutes, um, I am watching The Kitchen Nightmares ah! uh, episode that you were on. <laughs> and um, a little upset that it seems like Brad took all the, you know, took all the screen time and was doing all oh. the talking. And unfortunately, we need to do I haven't seen anything that you said. No. Um, but, um, you we'll know, talk about great that. for being on the show. Um, you'll have to tell us how you uh, had the opportunity uh, to get on the show, um, what you knew <laughs> or how you knew that um, they were going to be shooting there or whatever. I, um, I think it's great. 
It was nice to see you on it. Thank you. And um, I know you're not going to be able to do shows as often, um, as you said, but, uh, you know, I think quality is most important, and I totally support, you know, I think it's great that you're you know, getting a lot more work opportunities or whatever. And, Me too. Uh, Thank you. You know, you know <laughs> if we have to hear you less, that's great. Um, um, but, you know, I'm, that way, you know, still the quality will be great. And um, I just want to say congratulations, and you know, still doing a good, great job. And I will uh, hope to hear you again soon. Uh, take care, Patrick. Bye. Thank you, Joe. Well, Joe, I have to say congratulations to you because uh, since he didn't call in, you are the Zombard of the week. Yay! Yay! There's no tiara for that prize. I don't know what you want from me. Stop looking at me. Move along. Where do you even start? I'm glad you liked All About Evil. I'm so thrilled the world is getting out there. Even if it, you guys didn't get to see it in the theater, it's still fun. As a matter of fact, I'm planning on having like a mini screening of it here in New York, just among the horror movie meetup groups, to try to recreate that whole fun style. You know, get drunk beforehand, like I don't know, do some karaoke beforehand, and get everybody nice and rowdy, so it's the perfect situation to watch that particular movie, because you got to be riled up to really enjoy that film. Um, you'll enjoy it anyway, but the, the, the more... Fun you're ready to have, the better it's going to be. And Joe, you get an extra point for using that coupon that I sent everybody. Because now I'm getting an even deeper into Peaches Christ. Ew, that didn't come out right. But, but I, I, she'll probably appreciate the statement. Anyway, ah, uh, Poltergeist. I still enjoy Poltergeist. <laughs> my favorite part for some reason. She moved through my soul. <laughs> I can smell her on me. Here, smell. I can smell her on me. I don't know why I love that part. I'm weird. But again, it was on every day on HBO. I can quote the whole fucking movie if I wanted to. So it's the less obscure quotes that I enjoy. I think it holds up pretty well. It still freaks the hell out of Erica for not a living podcast. You can't even say the title around here without her freaking out. Um, sure, some of the special effects are dated, and that Spielberg touch is kind of nauseating at times. But my problem with it, that middle kid Robbie, that ugly little fuck, where did he come from? He looks like neither one of them. All the other kids, you know, the Heather O'Rourke is pretty. The other girl, the older daughter, she's very pretty. And then there's that thing. And he wasn't even going through an awkward stage because I've seen him in other things. That kid was born ugly. So either he was a foundling or a changeling or I don't know. Some like adopted child from Ugly Ovia, maybe. But okay, fireside chat. Here's a reflection. I remember going to see that movie in the movie theaters with my mother. Now we went to this local theater when we were living on Long Island, and uh, it was a matinee. And we got there, and there was nobody in the box office. We stood out there for a minute, and uh, somebody finally came in and stepped into the box office window and said, "Oh, okay, we're having problems out here. Just pay at the snack bar." And we went into the snack bar, and there was nobody there. We stood there for like five, ten minutes. The movie was starting, so we went in and sat down. So we're seeing the movie for free. So this is scandalous for my mother. My mother's like, I'm so scared. What if somebody comes to throw us out? Oh, my God, we're going to get arrested. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. At some point in the movie, you know, maybe an hour in, I just reached around her shoulder to the other side, and I tapped her on the shoulder like some quiet part of the movie, and she was like, and she still yells at me about that to this day. There you go. Making the world a creepier place, even for your mother. Countess Dracula. I actually added that to my, my Netflix queue because I've been adding a lot of the older stuff, you know, like the Hammer stuff and, and the Vincent Price stuff and the Boris Karloff stuff from the 60s. Some of it I've seen, some of it I haven't. That I hadn't seen, 
But I didn't realize as you were describing it, and I don't think you know, that's based on a true story. That is based on the actual historical figure of the Countess Elizabeth Bathory, who did in fact do just that. She captured um, peasant virgin girls, slaughtered them, and bathed in their blood, allegedly, because she thought um, because she thought it was going to keep her young. I don't know if it did or not, but it got her walled up in the tower forever till she died. And they made a shitty movie about her. How about that? Way to go, Liz. Anyway, thank you for calling in, Joe. Oh, to be perfectly honest, I was getting worried about you. Because you hadn't called in in so long, and I hadn't seen you on the Xbox in a while. I hadn't even seen you on Facebook that much. And I thought maybe, since you mentioned um, last time I did get an update from you, that the police women of Cincinnati were shooting like right around the corner from you, I was afraid maybe they, they arrested you. They took you in. They busted your ass. You got busted by a whole bunch of Queen City lady cops, and I would have to make fun of you because you'd be in lady cop jail. I kind of stumped myself kind of picturing what that would be like, and I decided I don't want to picture what it would be like, but you probably get your – it would probably be a good opportunity for me to throw that <laughs> – to arrange a sneak attack on you so sometime when you were taking a shower that everybody would jump in and throw tampons at you and see how you liked it, bitch. Love you, Joe. Thanks for calling. Okay, and when it finally degenerated to me talking about throwing tampons at innocent people, it is time for me to wrap this puppy up for another week. Oh, gosh, thank you so much for joining me for this first ever super giant, super mega gigantosode, whatever the hell I called it, because I think it's going to be the last one. Now, I know I said I'm slowing the production schedule down, so I wanted to compensate by giving you longer episodes. But now that I put this one together... I think it throws off the nice little rhythm we had going on. I think I'd rather give you what I've always been giving you, maybe a little bit slower, but maybe a little higher quality. This just didn't feel right for me. It gave me bad touch feelings, so that's not good. But hey, here's something. I haven't been able to have a Netflix movie night on the Xbox in a while. Not an official one anyway, because uh, as, as Zombart mentioned a few weeks ago, I did have an impromptu one when a bunch of us got together to watch Suck because I was snowed in with one of the 85 blizzards we've had this winter. I find it's hard to read and plan things in advance with my nutty schedule, but that sort of a thing. So, if you want to be involved in a Netflix movie party night, you need to be following me on Twitter or on Facebook, and obviously on the Xbox. Because as Drizilla Bloom will tell you, you might also be winning prizes if you're doing that. And finding all kinds of last-minute information, of cool stuff, of giveaways, and gossip and dirt, and other tokens of my affection to you. So, use your social media skills and stalk my ass, is what I'm saying. Because we want you at the next party. However, since Joe from Cincy finally called me back and, you know, has escaped from women's prison, I thought I'd celebrate. Because uh, he called in a while ago and talked about a movie that was one of his favorites called Flesh-Eating Mothers, which is not out on DVD. And I thought, since I found a place to watch it online, I think we're going to review it. So... If you'd like to play along, why don't you head on over to stageview.com and do a search on flesh-eating mothers. That's stageview, S-T-A-G-E-V-U.com, and play along with us. It'll be fun. And if the movie sucks, it's Joe's fault. Am I right? Of course I'm right. So as always, if you want to be like all these cool people who called in this week, you can give me a call at 347-767-3509. Or you can write the show at crew at screamqueens.com. And that's queens with a... Z! Ding, 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 ding. You can like me on Facebook. You better be following me on Twitter. And of course, you can friend me on the app. Xbox as Red Menace NYC. So next time, I have to finally reveal the Scream Queen Lifetime Achievement Award because February is Women in Horror Appreciation Month. And how can I let that go by? 
without recognizing this lovely day. I'm finally doing it. And if not, I will feel horrible Catholic guilt until I die. Or maybe for about my 20 minutes or so. So until next time, continue to make the world a creepier place. And remember, as my grandmama used to say, <coughs> Oh, that was chunky. Bye! Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com. Bitches! <laughs>